promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak-willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Hello and welcome back to the Tread Weary Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Carlton Smee, and this is the audio arm of TreadWeary.com, where we gather together to hear the word of God and to hear what God has done for us, to be those that are acted upon by God, who receive gift from God, life from God, the good news of the gospel to release us from the necessity of always trying to be enough, to be perfect, to be complete, and finding our identity, not in ourselves or what we're able to do, but in Christ and what he has done. Well, here we've been working our way through the Gospel of John rather slowly, and I'm sure some of you are getting a little fatigued, but you know what? We're still going to push our way through because we are more than halfway there, and we've actually reached the point in which After today, we're going to have a large collection of sermon verbiage and prayer from Jesus, and then we're going to enter into the uh, moments of the uh, of Holy Week, the the last week of his life before the cross. And so, uh, we'll be moving a little bit faster. We're going to almost do a reverse of the Gospel of Mark, where the Gospel of Mark is speeding up to the cross and then slows down. Here, we've been slowly going through what John has been talking about, why we need to believe in Christ, and now we're going to be handed what it is that Christ will do and what he has to fully explain to us as we head into John 13 and 14 and 15 over the next few weeks. But today, we're going to be finishing John chapter 12, and we're going to be picking up at verse 37 of John 12, and just a uh, a pastoral note or a logistical note or whatever note you want to use. I've switched back to using the NIV uh, for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, it was a few weeks ago, probably three weeks ago, that I started going through my boxes downstairs because, as some of you know, I started a new call uh, at the end of June, and so I had the chance to uh, bring a bunch of my books Well, I had to bring all my books home from my office at my former uh, parish and got to bring them down to my new parish. And that included some books that I hadn't had in my office before because I just decided I'd bring more down there to the office because I have to drive a little bit farther. And so I have to have some stuff there to get work done. And I found my old NIV Bible that my wife gave me when I started seminary back in 2012. And it was uh, almost a spitting image of the Bible that I had when I was in high school. And I found it in a box and I decided, I think I'm going to start reading this one now. I've been, I've been using the Christian Standard Bible here for over a year. And I enjoy it, but I I felt like going back to the NIV. So anyways, that is a long story for almost no reason whatsoever. But it's my podcast. I get to do what I want. Anyways, we're going to be reading John 12, finishing John 12, starting at verse 37 and going to the end. So open your Bibles and find yourself there and you can follow along. 
So hear these words for you. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would help us to believe, help us to trust, help us to hear the word of Christ as it is what he has to speak to us today, that it would not condemn us, but that it would bring us life. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I did a little bit of weird non-Bible research this week. Because I was interested, and as I, as I read this text, something came to mind. And so I wanted to look up the, the best five quarterbacks, according to statistics and all this stuff, to never win a Super Bowl. You could, you could even break it down to, to never played in a Super Bowl, but I just went with uh, never to have won a Super Bowl. Maybe they played in one, maybe they didn't. And in part because... You go and you look at the statistics, and a large percentage of the dudes who are in the top 10, top 20, top 30 as quarterbacks as far as wins and, and all these things have played in Super Bowls because, you know, winning teams, they, they go to Super Bowls. Well, there were five quarterbacks, all of them mostly from my generation, uh, a, a couple of them kind of previous to mine, one of them definitely previous to mine. But uh, first we had Dan Marino. Uh, and then who, who played for the Dolphins. And then Jim Kelly played for the Bills. Fran Tarkenton, who played for the Vikings and the Giants. And then Dan Fouts, who, who basically just played for the San Diego Chargers. And then Warren Moon, who actually had a better career in Canadian Football League than he did in the NFL, and yet still won 100 games as a quarterback in the NFL and, and had a really good career when he played for Houston. He even came and, and played for the Vikings here in Minnesota. But these are the top five quarterbacks who many of them still hold records in the NFL, but they never won the Super Bowl. Between them, they have 560 wins. They, they've played in eight Super Bowls, but have not won any. Jim Kelly played in, I believe they played in four of them four years in a row and lost all of them. Fran Tarkenton played in three, lost all of them. Dan Marino played in one. Lost that one. Dan Fouts and, and Warren Moon never played in a Super Bowl. And between them, 
they they have a a a positive winning percentage an above 500 winning percentage it's like 550 something change winning percentage but they'd never won the super bowl and so they're not necessarily talked about in the same company as peyton manning tom brady uh, drew Brees, these quarterbacks who have I bring that up and I use that as a picture for here for you here because of the section right at the beginning of this portion of John, because we have it said here that uh, even though he he performed all of these signs, uh, people were not believing in, in him, even though people saw them, they were not believing in him. And part of that is because he had another sign to do. He had done all these other signs between raising Lazarus, feeding the 5,000, changing water to wine, uh, healing people, all that stuff. None of those things necessarily, it, it, it showed who he was, that he was God come to earth, which we'll talk about in a second because he makes the point of, uh, of that in, in, in verse 45. But he had one other sign to do, the cross. There, there was one more thing that he had to fulfill for, and to, because he didn't want people necessarily to believe in him because he walked on water or raised the dead, although those are good reasons to trust in Christ because it, it, it shows his power of creation and his power over death. But to fulfill the word of Isaiah, this Lord who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, well, to these people it had been revealed. It, it, it had been revealed in their presence, but they didn't believe. And, and part of that could be because waiting, waiting for the cross, waiting that that might be the focus of who this Jesus is. Because otherwise, they could see him as vending machine Jesus. Well, we're going to go to Jesus in order to get fed. We're going to go to Jesus in order to... Uh, be healed of, of a disease or whatnot, rather than be saved from sin, death, and hell. And even, and even if we continue on in verses 39 and 40, it, it uses this, this text from Isaiah, that, uh, and, and John is using uh, more the translation of the, the Septuagint, I believe, than he is using uh, the Hebrew it's, it's this difficult text of saying that God has blinded eyes and hearts so they can't see or understand so that they wouldn't turn yet and, and God would, would heal them because it wasn't the time yet. God has a particular timing, which drives us nuts because we want God's timing to be our timing. But you can think back to our discussion on John 6 where, where people come to find him after he feeds the 5,000 and they want him not because they they saw the sign, but because they filled their belly. And they were wanting to make him king because of that. Because he was providing them something, and in some respects, Caesar wasn't able to do. You imagine the size of the Roman Empire. There were many portions of the Roman Empire that were not going that great, especially for the conquered people. Life would have been hard. And so having someone show up being able to feed them from a few bread and fish that's awesome but for jesus he's like no this this isn't about the feeding this is about the sign this is about the power of god manifested to you 
And so their eyes and their, their ears were, were blinded and, and shut so that they, they could not understand what it was that Christ was saying. And, and eventually, a bunch of his disciples leave him apart from the twelve. And, and it's where Jesus turns and, and says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says the words that we use in our liturgy quite often. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so here in this section, right before we're heading into the remainder of Holy Week, to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and all these spaces, we have the point being made that these people, even though with the triumphal entry and they're shouting Hosanna, and they don't even really know what they're saying, coming right on the heels of the healing of Lazarus, John has to interject here for us to remind us that Isaiah's word is going to be fulfilled in Jesus and that it becomes a, a position for, for myself as pastor and then for you, uh, whether you're a pastor or not. Is this a concern for us? When we gather for worship, is, is belief and trust, is, is the why of why we're gathering foremost in our minds, or is it gathering just for the sake of gathering? Is it singing songs just for the sake of singing songs? Or is it, or is it for the, the, the goal of repentance, the goal of healing, the goal of the increasing of faith and trust in Christ as the crucified one? Not as just some genie or, or some great motivational speaker or, or some political figure, but actually the crucified one the one who is going to save the world. But then I love how it's then juxtaposed against this next paragraph of of 42 and 43, where it says, and yet, at the same time, even though all these people were not believing, among the leaders, they were believing. These would have been people who knew their scriptures. They would have known Isaiah, these these Pharisees and, and, and others, but they didn't want to admit that they believed. And these could be Sadducees and Pharisees and, and whoever else was in the leadership of, in those parties. They would have believed. But it says here, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. How often is that us? How could this? This is no different than us ever. Because how often is it that we do love human praise more than the praise from God, that that we will hold on to a loyalty to people. We'll, we'll maybe back up something uh, in in our families or in our churches or or whatnot, rather than speaking up and saying no, no, we're not going to go with that. We'll, we'll toe the party line when it comes to some politics or some denominationalism, instead of realizing that it's about Christ. I was having this conversation with a team at, at my new church that we have this team that we're, we're, we're looking at a five-year plan. We're looking at our vision for what we want to see in five years. And one of the things we're looking at is a preschool. And this, this woman who's, who's very keen on the idea, she's asking me about, do you know or have any ideas about curriculum? And I had to explain to her that one of the struggles that we have is that in, in the denomination that I am a part of, we kind of moved away from church preschools and schools in general as the norm of part of our ministry quite a long time ago, probably when we merged three denominations together to make our Lutheran denomination back in the late 80s. And so our publishing house doesn't really have a, a 
curriculum dedicated towards having a church preschool. The, the assumption being, I guess, is that you'd have a church preschool, you would teach preschool curriculum, reading, writing, uh, some arithmetic, you know, your alphabet and, and animals and colors and, and you know, some tying of shoes and, and some etiquette at school and, and all those things and maybe throw in a Bible story here or there or whatnot, but there's not an expectation of having some formulated curriculum, whereas other Lutheran denominations like Missouri Synod and Wisconsin Synod and, and, and others, they definitely have that they, they, because you, more often than not, you find a Missouri Synod church or a Wisconsin Synod church and having their church have a school is fundamental to their understanding of how to do church. The, there are Lutheran high schools in places like Milwaukee and in the West Coast and Missouri and elsewhere that were founded by Missouri Synod churches and, and Wisconsin Synod churches because they find the necessity of having a denominational parochial school for their students. And there's some theological and political implications for that. Whereas in our denomination, the ELCA, we tend to to toe the line of, of, no, it's good for our kids to be in public school, to have an interaction with the world, to to, to be there, not to mention the fact that there's a cost issue, there's there's a bureaucracy issue, there's all these things, as well as we don't necessarily say, well, we have to educate our children in this particular way. And so I'm talking with this this woman here at the meeting, and I and I say, well, there's these other denominations that have this this curriculum put together, Wisconsin and 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 Wells and or that is Wisconsin and Missouri and and others. But then I also said, and I don't know whether this is good or bad, but I don't care. I'm one who I default on Jesus. And so I'm very uh, non-denominational when it comes to the things that I'm looking for, the ecumenical stuff. And so I'll use things from anywhere from Lifeway, which is Southern Baptist, to, to things put out by the Catholic Church, to whatever, anything that will help draw people closer to Christ and increase their faith and bring them to a, a saving knowledge of what Christ has already done for them. But how often it is, though, that we still fear confrontation. We fear a change in the normalcy of life. We, we don't want to have bumps along the way. And so we tend to not want to speak up, especially when it comes to things of religion or faith, theology, whatever the case might be, because especially in our world today, in the, in the first world, the Western world, we, we tend to want to be broad-minded. We tend to want to be open-minded. We, we, we don't want the, the stark fundamentalism of it's this way or no way kind of a position. And yet here there's this telling Mark and John about the leadership of the Pharisees. Why? Because it's going to be the leadership of the council that is the one that pursues the arrest of Jesus. And the majority of it comes down to they want control and do not want to lose their position. And so you wonder about people like Nicodemus and others that were leaders in that council and were having to sit there and sit on their hands for a majority of the time and try and do what they can to speak up for him, but at the same time fearing what might happen to them for standing up for Christ, just like many of us today may fear repercussions for some sort of political stance we take 
whether it be wearing a mask in public and being berated for being a wuss, or uh, taking a different tack on uh, race relations in this country. And I'm not talking about white supremacy. I'm talking about people like Shelby Steele and and Thomas Sowell and others who come out and, and have a different perspective on black America than what someone else might have, and, and they're getting attacked because of what they have to say. And so it, it, it becomes a place for us as Christians to sit here and we, we read this text and find out in some ways we have to tie ourselves to this Christ who was crucified, this Christ who suffered, who died, right? Suffered and died for us. That sometimes it's not going to be easy and things are going to be bumpy. Well, Jesus cries out, this is interesting, that he's crying out after he has this, this somewhat this, this confrontation dealing with his death and dealing with that voice that came from heaven. He says, whoever believes in me or trusts in me does not trust in me or believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. This is another dig that we had earlier that, that, that he says that I and the Father are one. That, that if we want to know something about God, if we not want to know who God is, we, we look to Christ. And so it brings it back to a worship perspective, not only a worship perspective in which we hope that in our worship we are driven to a greater understanding of who Christ is, to make Christ the reason why we stand up for our beliefs and, and, and take a stance where we do, but also that when it comes down to our worship, that crucified Christ is the one that we turn to because that is the picture of God for us. It's not a picture of some dude with white hair and a robe sitting on a throne. It's a, it's a bloody Jesus on a cross. That is, that is the one that we want to see and look to and listen to when we are looking for God and what he has to say to us. He goes on to say, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me or trusts in me should stay in darkness, this this light to shine upon us, that we might see our own flaws, but also see him, be able to look to him, be a guiding light for us along the path like a flashlight. If you want to hear my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. That's a wonderful statement because it, it's it's sitting there saying that judgment is not at the forefront of Jesus' mind right now. Does it mean that judgment isn't going to come? Scriptures are kind of open to saying that, yes, there is going to be a judgment day. But he says, I, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Right now, at this moment in time, in John 12, whatever year it is, whatever date it is, he wasn't there to judge the world. He's there to save it. But he says that the judgment that's going to come is not Jesus standing on, on or sitting on his throne and you standing before him and him saying, so what do you have to say for yourself? No, the, the judgment is going to be, well, what did I have to say about you? What did, I, what did I gift to you? What did you hear of me? How have, how, what life have I given to you through my work on the cross for you? Not about, so, what's your record? Where's your resume? Did you win the Super Bowl? How about your CV? How's your volunteerism, your activism, all those things? No, instead, the, the condemnation that will come to anyone who... Um, stands before that throne, if, it, if there is condemnation, it's going to be that they say, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need you, Jesus. I'm good enough. I don't need you at all. Because he, he tells us that when he came to speak, he came to speak the very word of God. 
that he speaks to us God's word into our ears that we might have life and not fear any condemnation whatsoever. And that is good news for us. That when Christ speaks, he speaks to us and he speaks about himself for us. And that should be the goal of our worship when we gather together. Our goal should be in our worship to have Christ laid out on a silver platter as the perfect gift, feast, meal, extravaganza, party for us. That that he might give of himself as God giving himself to us. And that, and that is what we seek in him, in those words, in, the, in this, this freedom that he offers. Well, that's all we have for this week. As I said, next week we're going to be starting with, with Monday, Thursday, and, and John 13. But as we go into this week, just remember, if you could, please go wherever it is that you are listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Podbean or Spotify or whatever, give us a review, especially on Apple. If you can give us a review, a, a, a rating, uh, whatever, that, that would help uh, us immensely, as well as if you have any questions or comments. You can go on my website, treadweary.com, and you can go to the contact form and, and leave a comment there or, or a question there, and I will try to get to it in future episodes. But my prayers go with you this week, and I ask that God's blessings would be upon you as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.